0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 144. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your every day. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. This week on the vlog, I am showing you my very favorite morning routine I've had over the past three to four years. I've been doing some version of a morning routine, a morning ritual that helps me set myself up for a positive day, and right now I have found a groove that has truly been my favorite one of all. It's so simple and pretty quick, actually. It doesn't take more than about 20, maybe 25 minutes altogether. And I just can't wait to share with you what exactly it is. You can check this out at JessLively.com slash morningroutine, or you can search the Lively TV show on your podcast app. So if you're listening to this on your phone and you're using iTunes to do so, you can use the same search bar in the podcast app to find the video feed, the TV show feed, if you will. That's how you'll know. It won't be in the audio feed with other audio podcasts. It'll be in the TV podcast for The Lively Show. And of course, to follow along on the European travels, The Lively Show goes abroad. You can find it over on Instagram at Jess C. Lively. So now let's move on to today's episode. Today we're speaking with Elisa Vitti as our all-star. She is truly an all-star on the show. This was the episode that I said I believe every woman needs to at least know this information exists. Alisa has rebuilt my own understanding of hormones and what it means to be a woman. Did you know that our whole system, our culture, our exercise, our work, our eating is all based around a male 24-hour hormone cycle, but women have 28-day hormone cycles. And as a result, we are not getting nearly the benefits we could had we been working and aligning our actions in those ways with our hormones as they fluctuate 25% week over week, depending where we are in our cycle. This has been a game-changing episode for myself, and I know at least hundreds, if not thousands of women I've heard from have shared this has been a huge game-changer for themselves. She's also the founder of flowliving.com. She's been on the Dr. Oz show many times sharing on this hormone specialist information, and I cannot wait to share this episode again. This one is truly a game changer, especially if you have any PMS symptoms or kind of like hormone imbalanced issues with infertility, PCOS, endometriosis, et cetera. Let's go to the show. Elisa, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be
1: here, Jess.
0: <laughs> I am fascinated by you and your story about how you got to what you do today. So let's start with you at 6th grade.
1: Oh yes, the period club. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was just going to school normal and one day we had growing and changing class where we learned about this thing called a period. I'd never heard about it before and I really was awestruck. That really was the feeling. I was like, oh, my God, I am going to have a period that's so cool. Like, (laughs) that's amazing. And I just thought, okay, I am starting a period club with my best girlfriends, and we're going to like talk about this and learn about it and and wait for it to happen to us because it's going to happen. We just don't know when it was. I just really thought it was the coolest thing that I had ever heard.
0: I just imagine you with like a little trapper keeper and... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I had one. Lisa Frank folders. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. It was great. And I would make predictions about who was going to get their period first. And to my credit, <laughs> given what I do for a living now, I was 100% accurate about who was going to get their period first. And just by visually kind of seeing how hormones, of course, I didn't know exactly what all that was at that time. But you can see how hormones shift and affect the body. And I could even tell then who was going to get it first. And I got it dead last, (laughs) way beyond dead last. I mean, everybody sort of was menstruating by middle school, and I didn't until about mid of high school. So that was um, an interesting, unexpected part of the journey from sixth grade to, gosh, almost the end of 10th grade, waiting and waiting on the
0: president of the period club. And I actually had a very similar story. I didn't get my period till I was 18. And in that case, it happened because I was about to go on Accutane for cystic acne that was so bad that you are legally, I think, supposed to be on birth control if you take it as a woman. So that was the first time I got my period was through the pill. So I can relate to a late bloomer, if you will.
1: Well, and actually, it wasn't a real period that you have. Whenever you're on the pill, this is a big misconception. Let's just clear it up at the top of the show. (laughs) The pill, while you take it, you're not actually ovulating or menstruating. You are suppressing ovulation. And when you take the sugar pills for the days that you're meant to be having your period, what you have is breakthrough bleeding. But it's not actually a real menstrual cycle.
0: Well, then I've never had a real menstrual cycle. This to me is the whole reason why I wrote the book, Jess. (laughs) Yes, I know. So let's go into the next phase of your story. Well,
1: you know, I was waiting and waiting for my period and I eventually did get it, but then it wouldn't come very frequently. I would maybe get my period twice a year, once a year. And in high school, at first, I thought, okay, that's cool. You know, I was running cross country and I wasn't really, my sixth grade fascination in the period club was a thing of the past. I had turned in my trapper keeper for more serious academic pursuits. And so I just didn't really think about it. But I remember actually, I was standing with my father watching my little brother play a little league baseball game. And we were just chatting. And I said, you know, dad, something just doesn't feel right in my body. I can't quite put a finger on it. I just, I don't feel like I think that I should as a girl. Obviously that was like a weird thing for any parent to hear. Yeah. He was like, I don't even know what you're saying. You look fine. Everything's fine, you know? And it's a, it's a good reaction for parents to have, like to downplay fears and concerns. It's fine. I mean, I I understand what he was trying to do. But that intuition was just the beginning of my really understanding what was going on. And, you know, fast forward a few years now, I'm at Johns Hopkins University, my love affair of the period and science and biology in high school turned into me deciding I wanted to be an OBGYN. So I was at Hopkins and found myself by the age of 21 in a total hormonal collapse, I wasn't menstruating, I couldn't wake up in the mornings, I couldn't go to sleep at night. I would have ocular migraines from time to time where I would lose vision. Severe acne on my face, chest and back, Jess. I would sit in front of my mirror for about 30 minutes at a time in the morning doing what I would call the spackling ritual where I would take under-eye concealer and try to cover up the redness. It would not obviously cover up the lumpiness but it was at least not red. I see photos from that time where I'm just, because it's under eye concealer, I mean, I just look white, no skin coloration, you know. And I was chronically getting sick, the most bizarre systemic dysfunctional behavior of all of these different systems of my body. And obviously, I had been going to the gynecologist diligently with great anticipation. I was like, when can I start? And I started at 16. And so, I kept asking, you know, what's happening? Why am I not menstruating regularly? Why are all these things happening? I said, oh, it's just normal, it takes time for you to cycle normally, blah, blah. I got a lot of dismissal, basically, with my questions. Finally, because I happened to be at Hopkins, I was able to do some research and dug up some literature on Stein-Leventhal disorder, which is the original name for polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is what I had in the classic form. I went from a pretty normal average weight to about 200-something pounds, 205. Uh, My acne was really bad, the lack of periods, the depression, the fatigue, all of it. And yet I had been undiagnosed for seven, eight years. It was pretty exciting on the one hand to get the information in my hot little hands and take it to the gynecologist and say, let's do the right tests, and then for her to confirm my diagnosis. So that was great. But what wasn't great was what she said to me next, which was, there's really nothing that we can do for you. You know, you're going to be suffering with obesity, increased likelihood for diabetes, heart disease and cancer, and it's very unlikely that you'll be able to conceive on your own, if at all. And I was 21 when I got that information, sitting in the chair with her and listening to that prognosis. I think we all have moments where something happens and your whole life changes. That was one of those definitely, definitely one of those moments for me where I I remember just being in that chair and listening to that future that, you know, she was sort of painting as a picture for me. And my whole body just said, no, not a, oh, God, no kind of energy. It was a, nope, she's wrong. That's not what's happening.
0: Where did you feel that feeling? all over everywhere. It was in my head. It was a loud, (laughs) it was like a definitive, don't
1: believe what she is telling you.
0: That's pretty ballsy for your body to say, you know, when you're looking at a doctor that is supposed to know everything about this condition. I have a couple things to credit for that. I mean, yes, my
1: body is the balls, awesome. <laughs> um, or as I like to say, the ovaries. But yes, she has led me only into the best possible places in my life. There are a couple things that really led me to be able to have listened to her in that moment, which was one my parents were doing farm to table before it was a thing. You know, we had a little garden in our backyard and we ate seasonally, and my mom cooked all the time. Now, She was also cooking some things that weren't healthy, but we did eat a lot of healthy vegetables and things of that nature. So I was already kind of interested in less is more. And I also, because of my studies at Hopkins, really just logically looked at a situation where the medication protocol that was being pitched to me at that moment was admittedly by the doctor, and by any research that anybody would do on this condition, not a fix, didn't fix what was wrong. The three medications you can take for PCOS, for those of you who have it, you know this for those of you who don't, you can take the pill, You could take metformin to regulate insulin sensitivity, and you can take spironolactone to deal with the androgenic effects of excess testosterone. Or really, it's five alpha reductase sensitivity, so you know acne and hair loss and hair growth in all the wrong places. So those are the three meds you can take. And then when you want to become pregnant, they can do Clomid, they can do IVF. When you deal with diabetes, they can give you more medication, etc. Just ongoing medication to manage the problem, but you're never actually fully clearing up the symptoms because those of you, again, who have PCOS, you know, you're on all this medication and you still have symptoms. They might not be as severe, but you still deal with them and they don't actually fix the root cause of what's wrong. So when I posed that question to her of, well, why would I take medication that wasn't actually going to fix what was broken? She said, well, we just don't know what's actually broken and we don't know how to fix it. So this is what we do. We just manage the symptoms. And I thought that was a poor excuse of an answer from a physician. And again, I think coming from Hopkins and having a set of standards of excellence, I thought we've got to be able to do better than that.
0: For my scenario, which for those that might be curious on my issue, so in high school underweight, and told, oh, you're just not getting your period because you're too thin. And for some reason, at some point in college, went off the pill. I don't remember why, but I did. And I was heavier at that point, much more in a normal range. And I had one female physician throughout all of the doctors I'd ever had up to that point. She wasn't even my normal doctor. But that day I went in, she said, you know, you aren't too skinny to get your period. She pointed out what the other doctors were brushing aside, that there might be something wrong here, not just that it's normal, and especially now that you've gained weight. So I did the Google research. I found the symptoms. So I went to my doctor, and I told him what I thought I had. And Instead of all of the Grim Reaper story you got told, I got told, no big deal, just go on the pill, and you'll be fine. And when you want to have kids, we'll give you a pill. And none of this was negative. None of it was considered unfixable the way they put it out there the fix was the pill my intuition did not flare up like yours to tell me it was wrong so I've just been doing it and so reading your story over this last week as I've been preparing for this interview it's been a really emotional ride because I feel betrayed in a way by the information I was given I feel like even when I told my husband and I was crying about what happened and my reaction to your story versus mine and what I've been doing for the last 10 years versus what you've been doing to help yourself. He's like, you know what, we can find a doctor to help you. And I was like, no, that's the problem. It was a really hard thing to face. And I even have friends that are in the traditional medicine world that might even say the same. It's just a really hard emotional thing, at least for myself to grasp because our scenarios are so similar. But obviously, this doesn't just apply to people with PCOS. No, I mean, there's so many things to say
1: here. But the first is that I understand the sense that you have of feeling like you've been misled. And I think women, regardless of whether they have PCOS or not, when they go into their gynecological appointment and they have something that's not working, they have PCOS, they have fibroids, they have endometriosis, they have irregular cycles, missing periods, heavy bleeding, multiple periods a month, all of the things that can go wrong with your cycle. And they're given the same kind of pitch that you were given, like, okay, don't worry, just take the pill and it'll be fine. And when you want to have kids, we'll put you on some other meds. And so you're given this false sense that nothing is wrong. You're not given any transparency into what actually is happening or not happening in your body. And if you knew what was going on, you would 100% make a different choice.
0: Yeah, I feel like I have a different life now. The knowledge that I have now after reading your book is so rapidly different than a week ago. Even when I didn't sleep well last night, I now knew why I was not sleeping well. That's right. If you could go back in time and be at that
1: crossroads where you were saying, okay, well, we figured out what's wrong. You have thin PCOS. There's a spectrum of PCOS. Here's what's not functioning in your endocrine system and you can take the pill to manage the symptoms or you can do the well-documented food and lifestyle changes to fix what's not working in your endocrine system and not need the pill, what would you choose?
0: I easily would have chose that. And just for anyone, because the word endocrine kind of intimidated me before reading your book. It's hormones, guys. So she's just talking about your hormones that are in your body.
1: Hey, let's break that down. Let's do a little biology one-on-one. Ready? Hormones are the chemicals that the glands in your endocrine system make that balance out your cycle and your skin and your metabolism and blood sugar and cortisol, the fight or flight. Your hormones are the conversation that's happening between the glands, which are like, the let's say, different cell phones calling each other. We call that whole system the endocrine system, the glands, the hormones, et cetera. That's it. Not scary.
0: One thing I didn't know, I thought hormones kind of floated around in your body like a lava lamp, (laughs) that they stayed in like certain proportions and it was the same hormone that was always in there. It's just like kind of floating around somewhere. Could you explain what really happens that you have to like excrete them? What really happens is you eat food. And that
1: food is broken down into usable micronutrients like amino acids and vitamins and minerals that different glands in your body then store. Like, let's take your thyroid, for example. Everybody knows your thyroid needs iodine to make thyroid hormone, but also needs an amino acid called L-tyrosine. You get these two things from eating certain foods, then the thyroid tissue itself... Stores these vitamins, these amino acids, these micronutrients, and then when it's called to make more hormones, it gets a phone call from the pituitary gland in your brain and says, Hey, we need more thyroid hormone. Then it takes the iodine, it takes the L tyrosine, it does this little reaction, and boom, you've got some thyroid hormone now being secreted by the gland into the body. And when there's enough, then production stops. These hormones are actually all secreted through the body throughout the elimination process every day. So that's a hugely important part, especially when it comes to cycle issues uh, like fibroids, like endometriosis, like PCOS, like infertility, where estrogen levels are too high If your body is not eliminating estrogen on a regular basis, you're going to have more severe endometriosis. You're going to grow more fibroids. Your PCOS is going to be more symptomatic. You're not going to be able to maintain a pregnancy because estrogen is too high. It's not leaving the body. The way you get hormones to leave the body is with the same foods that you need to be eating to make adequate levels of hormones which is awesome news because nature by design is simple and elegant. And so the way that we need to take care of our body is just really easy once you learn how it works and what to do.
0: What about people that have normal flow? Because I'm imagining there is a portion of this audience, it's like, I don't have a problem. So do I need to go down the path that you and I will be speaking about shortly?
1: Absolutely. Because chances are good you have PMS. (laughs) Do we know anybody that doesn't have PMS in today's world? It's very rare. PMS is a hormonal imbalance. Specifically, it's an imbalance of estrogen and progesterone. Too much estrogen, not enough progesterone. In fact, having PMS is a precursor to having fertility challenges because the ratio of hormones that you need to successfully conceive and maintain a pregnancy is that exact ratio of hormones that allows you to not have any PMS, balanced estrogen and balanced progesterone. When they're out of balance, you have PMS and you also can't get pregnant. So every woman needs to be thinking about her flow because we live right now, Jess, in a really interesting time for women's bodies because of a couple of things. We're exposed to more chemicals that are endocrine disruptive, hormone disruptive in a 30-day period than our grandparents' generation were exposed to in their entire lifetime. So month over month, your delicate hormonal conversation is being beleaguered with all of this chemical interruption. It's making the job that they're trying to do very, very challenged. In addition to that, we are eating completely wrong for our hormonal balance and for our flow. When that happens, you throw off blood sugar, you throw off the adrenals, you throw off the estrogen elimination, you throw off all of these things that are there to support proper hormonal balance. So between the chemicals and the improper diet, it's becoming kind of a silent epidemic. One in 10 women have PCOS. One out of Two women struggle with thyroid imbalances in their lifetime. One in 10 couples is infertile for no known cause. PMS has women out of the workplace and costs corporate America something like $1.7 billion annually in lost work time, fibroids, endometriosis on the rise in large numbers, Every woman, basically, if you were to start just chatting about this with your friends, would report into you that something's not working right. Something's not flowing properly. So, yes, vehemently, yes, you need to be thinking about this, especially if you've been on the pill for years because you went on it to kind of deal with being in cramp town every month or having, you know, heavy bleeding or you had severe, you know, mood swings or acne. Those things that you went on the pill to suppress will absolutely come back with a vengeance when you go off the pill and try to get pregnant. And you may be feeling like you're pressed for time to address those things naturally because that's what you're going to have to do in order to get pregnant. So it's just this whole hot mess that a lot of us are in and we don't even realize it. It's why I wrote the book as I just thought we need to have this just clearly laid out for us how the system works, how we need to eat to support it. And how to navigate all the hormonal changes that are going to happen. But also, I'm really passionate about women just starting to connect the dots. For example, if you're worried about your future fertility, take a look at your skin, your bowels, and your monthly, you know, the color of your monthly flow. I didn't realize I was making television history, but I did. I went on Dr. Oz and I showed with fruit juice, it wasn't actual, (laughs) we simulated. There are basically four different you know, colors that you can see. And so we took a look at those on little white plates and uh, with these different fruit juices. And you know it was, I guess, really controversial, but really important that you can look every month and get a really great immediate indication of how well these hormones are balancing themselves or not. Instead of waiting until you're 38 and then going off the pill and then getting all these hormone tests, do an experiment, go off the pill for three months, see what happens with your cycle.
0: Before we get into the protocol and the steps, so you get told this, you hear the no, I want to kind of rewind and figure out how you figured out what the answer is. What did that path look like for you? Well,
1: again, I just happened to be in the right place. And you know, I had a lot of great access to some great new research that was coming out on epigenetics, and what causes certain genes to express or not express disease states or health states. And when I looked at this research, it just dawned on me that the two things that they found that turn on or off these genetic switches were food changes and lifestyle changes. And they found this out by studying identical twins and really fascinating research that came out of the Human Genome Project. When they discovered the epigenetic structure that wraps around our DNA, it was like slapping me in the face as I was reading this what you're having for lunch (laughs) cumulatively is going to change your genetic function. So if that's going to change on the microscopic level of genes, what you're having for lunch is absolutely going to influence glandular behavior. So if we could use food therapy to affect gene expression, we can also use food therapy to improve endocrine function. That was the light bulb moment for me that really started me down this path of discovering the protocol that we've now been using for the past 14 years at the Flow Living Center for women in 216 countries. That's how it got started. And then I, of course, dove headfirst into functional medicine and nutritional genomics and functional nutrition and everything I could really just dive into with all of that and really put the first half of the protocol in place what I call the cleanup work part of the protocol, the first three steps. And then in my studies of Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine and looking at sort of these ancient ways in which they looked at seasonality and symptoms and also looking at circadian rhythms of the body and how Olympians train differently at different times of the day, taking into account certain hormonal patterns, I thought, wait a minute, why aren't we eating specifically for the unique hormonal phase that we're in each week of the cycle. Why aren't we doing that? Everything we've been told about dieting is geared towards a male body that is operating on a 24-hour hormonal pattern. Why aren't we operating on a 28-day hormonal pattern and eating according to those phases. And that slapped me in the face after the initial sort of functional medicine approach to really turning the endocrine system around toward a place of moving in the right direction. Healing what was imbalanced is one thing, but then maintaining that is a whole other thing. And that's where the cycle syncing piece of the protocol came into play. So- I had my two apples falling on my head out of the tree moments in terms of discovering this protocol through my research, just really looking at things and looking at what was missing was really what happened.
0: I think this is fascinating. And I know this is probably a lot to take in for those who have not read the book. So I highly recommend if this is going pretty quickly, but it's interesting to you to go pick up this book. As I told you before this call, I kind of avoided going into your work. Initially, I had an assistant in Chicago a year ago, on your program. And I have one here in Austin. And knowing my own past, I just kept thinking to myself, you know what? Ignorance is bliss in a way that I didn't know the work and I didn't learn about it. I just knew the doctor told me to go on the pill. This is what is my medicine, quote unquote, for what I have. I don't need to change it. It took me until reading your book to go, oh my goodness. So for anyone else who might be even resistant to it, I would say, go check it out because I too was resistant to it for over a year, knowing that this type of work existed, but not going into it because I wanted to cling to the belief that what I was told was true.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I think the resistance piece is an important thing. It's not this little thing.
0: (laughs) No, it stopped me very well for a year.
1: I think we as women are terrified of what's going on inside of us because we have no idea what's going on.
0: Now, I know so much more after reading this book for the last few days. It's insane how much more I know about my body. And it
1: should be our baseline, right? You need to have an operational guide to how your body works so that you can navigate successfully your life and your self-care. I think the resistance that you bring up is pretty universal. When we don't know what something is, we avoid it. Like If I found myself in a dark room, but all I could see was a doorknob, and I knew I would open a door to a closet that was also dark, I probably would not open that closet (laughs) door. I would be like, you know what? I'm just going to leave that door closed. I'm going to wait (laughs) for lights to come on and get the heck out of Dodge. And I think that's how we feel about our bodies. Like, you know what? I'm just going to leave well and good alone here, and I hope nothing else breaks down. And if it does, I hope there's some magic pill I can take, because I just don't know what's going on, and I don't want to deal with it. It's scary, it's mysterious, and it probably can't get fixed. And that layered into all of us kind of being conditioned to believe that our bodies are designed to make us suffer pretty much disables us from taking any action toward having a healthy relationship with our bodies. So... I think it's so important that you bring up this idea of resistance. Everybody has it if you happen to have ovaries because of just the sort of conversation about your body that is had all around us.
0: I will also say there's one other thing that popped up for me. At first, I'm reading the book and I'm like, victory, arms pumping in the air. And then I will say, (laughs) because I had to get through this quickly for the show. I didn't get to like sit and take it baby steps at a time. So I was taking it big chunks. And it's a lot to take in all at once to realize how differently you've been living your life versus what serves your life. And I will say after the initial euphoria and the outrage and sadness for the years that were lost, if you will, not knowing any better, or not being able to change this or be more proactive. Because, yeah, I'm about to have kids in the next few years, and I'm like, oh, wait, now I have to deal with getting off the pill and getting the symptoms in check and all of that stuff. Like yesterday. Exactly. And the thing that really then started to creep in was this overwhelm about the massive shifts that I will need to make in my life that are so – deeply entrenched in my rituals and habits now that I like eating the certain foods for the certain weeks, that honestly sounds completely overwhelming right now, let alone any of the things that come after it. So I feel like I've got a lot of ways to go. So now I'm kind of overwhelmed. It can feel overwhelming, which is why
1: I wrote the book because I felt like every woman needed to have a proper education about how her body works and what she needs to do to take care of it. Whatever your condition is, and the book is not condition specific, it's hormone centric. It's really about you learning how to work with being hormonal. And we don't have to look at specific conditions because if we look at the root causes, you work on the root causes and the conditions go away, which is also another fun part of the discovery of my protocol. But the other thing that I promised myself when I went through this myself was I said, this sucks. <laughs> I feel alone. Every piece of news I see is bad news. There's nothing. There's, there was no support. There was no nothing. And I promised myself that I would, if I figured this out, build a place where women could go to have a handheld experience of small, sustainable steps to get you out of hormonal chaos and back into hormonal flow. And that's what flowliving.com is. So yes, you're going to read the book. You're going to be so inspired. You're going to say, I want to live according to my flow. I want to eat for my flow. I want to live in the flow. I want to have access to this extraordinary, we haven't even talked about why you would even do this in the first place. Yes, getting rid of your symptoms is one thing, but that's not even a fraction of why you would do it. What's on the other side of this is massive access to personal power. But anyway, when you live in the flow, you of course you want to do that. But then the book tells you really what to do. But the online program is really how to do it in a step-by-step way so that you're not overwhelmed. So it's okay if you feel overwhelmed. Just know that I have made it my life's work not only to figure out this protocol, but also to support you taking the same baby steps in a way that gets you from point A to B in the most pleasurable way, doable way, and not overwhelming way possible.
0: I love that. So now, since we've been talking about this protocol, we should go into it and explain (laughs) for those that have been listening, what is the protocol exactly? The protocol
1: is a sequential and cumulative food-based therapy where we start with getting to those root causes of every woman's hormonal dysfunction. So we first look at your blood sugar stability, because the endocrine system, your hormones, they cannot balance themselves and function properly if you are having sugar highs and sugar lows throughout the day. So even just doing something like starting the day off with a cup of coffee screws you over for 24 hours. You cannot have proper blood sugar regulation until you reset that night with sleep. So. Really figuring out how to eat exactly for your metabolism every meal, what combinations of proteins and fats and carbohydrates, that's the first step. Because without that, it doesn't matter what else you do. It doesn't matter if you do a detox or a juice fat. It, doesn't, it does not matter. You have to get blood sugar stable first in order for the endocrine system to say, oh, okay, we are now in a better environment where we might have a chance of creating hormonal balance. That's the first step. The second step is addressing the stress and the stressing. (laughs) You know, we all are burning the candle at both ends. It's a wired and tired and 24 7 lifestyle, and that's fine. Our brains are adjusting to it, but our little delicate adrenal glands located in the middle of your back are not adjusting to stress the way your brain does. They are really suffering, and this really disrupts ovulation. You have too much cortisol not enough DHEA, ovulation is disrupted, sleep patterns are disrupted. A great example of people getting the stress piece wrong is over I have had so many clients come to me, they're training for a marathon or a triathlon or they're doing this like heroic thing, I'm gonna prove it to myself. By the time I turn 30 or 40, I'm gonna do this thing, right? It's so awesome, I love it. <laughs> but they gain 20 pounds and they're running five miles a day, 10 miles a day, whatever they're doing. They're putting so much stress on their bodies, they're not eating properly, they're not in their flow, they've got other problems that are compounding it, they put on weight because they're overtaxing the adrenals. So we really have to address that in the second step because the adrenals are part of this important axis in the endocrine system called, this is a big one, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And when that starts misfiring and it sends out all these stress signals, everything else doesn't work. You're not going to get pregnant. You're not going to have a regular cycle. You're going to gain weight. You're going to have all sorts of inflammation. And it can actually be the precursor to autoimmune disorders kicking in like eczema and IBS. And it's it's a really serious thing. So that's why it's the second step. The third step of the protocol is dealing with that estrogen elimination. I mean, I'm just going to say it out loud because I do this professionally. Every woman I know has problems with her pooping. (laughs) Okay, she's either pooping too much or she's not pooping enough. So you're either constipated or you're having like the IBS with diarrhea. And this is a big problem because estrogen is building up in the case of constipation in your system, throwing off all your hormones, or in the case of IBS with too frequent bowel movements, um, it's indicative of something called leaky gut, where even though you might be eating really clean, because your intestines are inflamed and are having all sorts of issues, you're not actually absorbing any of that good micronutrient from your food, and so you're not having the things that your glands need to make adequate hormones, and therefore you find yourself imbalanced pretty quickly. So getting the gut and the elimination right is an important third next step. So these first three steps are the cleanup work. The protocol in total when you go through it is a three-month journey um, when we do it slowly, step-by-step on the online program because I think slow and sustainable is important. Rushing and skipping ahead, and I say this very explicitly in the book, don't skip ahead. Don't be like the super type A chick and like be like, I'm going to do it all cold turkey. Don't do it. Your body actually needs the time to integrate all these changes, time is what heals, and food is the catalyst for that. So take the time to do it. And this first three steps take about, I would say, six weeks to do. So it's not a big chunk of time.
0: And they're all food related in those three steps?
1: Food and some supplements and some lifestyle changes. So modulating how you exercise, improving sleep rituals, changing diet, obviously, all the way through. So, yeah, some lifestyle, but mostly diet. And then we go into the fourth step of the protocol, which is the cycle syncing piece. So once you've gotten into the habit of making these other changes, then from that new foundation of self-care, we then layer in the piece of including, slightly different foods for where you are each week of the cycle onto those meal templates that are blood sugar stabilizing, et cetera. So you're adding to, you're not doing something totally different. You're just adding to the thing that we started off with, you know, a month and a half ago. And that's really what keeps you in the flow forever. So once you fix the root causes, which we do in those first three steps of the protocol, then we go into maintenance, which is the cycle thinking. And that's what eating for the flow is all about. And staying in the flow is facilitated by. That's pretty exciting and pretty fun. And you get the hang of it within about, I would say one or two periods. And then it's yours for life. And it's really, really fantastic because now you're eating in a female centric hormone centric, cycle centric way, which is what your body is doing, right? It's like, why would you try to ride down a river on a bicycle? You would just, that's just (laughs) ridiculous. (laughs) So why are you trying to eat the same way, exercise the same day in and day out, make choices about what you're prioritizing in your work life day in and day out, the same, the same, the same. When your brain chemistry shifts 25% week over week, your brain is 25% different this week to the next because of your hormonal fluctuations, Your body is different, completely different hormonally one week to the next. Why would you try to do the same thing day in and day out when that is not what the operating system is doing? It makes no sense is really what it comes down to. So we have to make this shift into cyclical self-care. It's not so complicated once you get the hang of it.
0: Do you have to eat completely the foods that are specifically good each week or do you just include more of those foods into your diet? Yeah, you don't, you don't just all of a sudden start eating like one thing for a week. No, it's really
1: about turning up the volume on those things. For example, in the ovulatory week, I really like women to turn up the volume on raw fruits and vegetables. It helps with the surge of estrogen at that time and helps your body eliminate that more expeditiously. So just turn up the volume on that. Some seasons, like the summer, you might exclusively have raw fruits and vegetables that week. But in the winter, it might just be a side salad at dinner. It's really about managing this in real time, taking all of the different factors into consideration.
0: And what's your take on alcohol, dairy, and wheat? Oh, you know what my... <laughs> Come
1: on. <laughs> you know, listen, alcohol, women process alcohol very differently than men. We hold on to things um, much longer. And for good reason. Now that I, just a little personal note, If you remember, I was told I would maybe never have a child. And at my advanced maternal age of 37, I'm now 38, I conceived naturally and gave birth to my first child a few months ago. And one of the things about alcohol and recognizing how different our bodies are, we hold on to fluids professionally as women. So if you're drinking alcohol, it's just not leaving your system quickly. So you're going to be sort of overexposed, your liver is going to be strained, and all of the hard work you might be doing to be healthy is going to be compromised. So you have to really dial it down and choose wisely. You know, I would say if you're going to do it at all, some wine occasionally, some champagne occasionally, some sake occasionally. Other than that, you got to stay away from beer for the gluten exposure and the sugar, but also um, hard alcohol. It's just so much more to process. Gluten and dairy, the research is in. Uh, These things are known aggravators for the digestive system and for the endocrine system. So if you're struggling to get better from some of these conditions that we're talking about, like fibroids, endometriosis, PCOS, PMS, infertility, low libido, depression, don't eat those things. I never eliminate things from the diet, but dairy and gluten, I think, given all of the conclusive evidence about what they do, not well for us, it's worth cutting them out.
0: Yeah, it's pretty overwhelming as a vegetarian or pescatarian that I am to think about that because that just leaves me with vegetables, nuts and beans, which is pretty lame.
1: (laughs) Well, it's not so bad. I mean, you can have rice, you can have buckwheat, you can have quinoa, you can have root vegetables, you can have sprouted corn amaranth, millet. There's so many more things besides just bread and pasta. And of course, there's all the gluten-free pastas. So you can do a lot. And if dairy is something that you truly, truly love, go off the cow dairy and experiment with goat and sheep dairy. The growth hormone in goat and sheep dairy is more Closely mimicking the growth hormone in breast milk, human breast milk, so it's not as stimulating to your hormonal system as cow dairy's growth factor is. So you could try a little goat yogurt, um, a little pecorino on your pasta that, which is a sheep-based grating cheese. You could try those types of things instead of the cow dairy. Uh, And I'll just say, I know it sounds like there's a lot of restriction, but I eat so wide variety of things. I am able to travel. I eat out. I have never run into an issue. I just don't really have dairy or gluten, and everything else is fair game. At first, your brain does this thing of like, ugh, this is too hard, but really it's not. (laughs) And you just have to start, and you have to start somewhere. So one of the things I love women to start with is a real experience in a short period of time as opposed to jumping into this whole big program and protocol. So for those of you who don't who are like okay yes I need to do something today and you haven't yet gotten the book I've pulled out from the book the 4-day hormonal reset it's a, now a 50-page ebook that you can just download for free from flowliving.com just go right to the homepage and you can get access to it immediately try eating this way for 4 days and see how you feel you know the food and your body won't lie um and if you feel better after 4 days then I think you probably would then realize just how responsive you are to food changes and how that might be the right path for you.
0: Awesome. And then what about people like me who have been on the pill for a long time? We don't just drop it, do we?
1: Oh, excellent question.
0: Well, what you want to do is talk to your physician
1: and let them know that this is what you'd like to do. You'd like to do an experiment to go off of the pill for three months. This is what I like to call the pill experiment. Tell your doctor that what you want to do, you want to go off for three months. You want to evaluate your hormones at the end of three months. You want to do a lab exam, blood work to see what's happening with your hormones after the third month is completed. And you also in the interim want to see how you feel, what symptoms come back, what's going on. The reality is the pill is great for women who truly don't have hormonal issues, you can go on and off of it and you feel the same in either situation. But if you're on the pill to manage hormonal symptoms, what you need to do fundamentally is go off of the pill, clear up those symptoms by doing the protocol, get yourself well, and then you can use the pill like a person who has no hormonal problems can use it. You can go on and off to prevent pregnancy. But most women, when they have had issues like the ones you're having, like the ones I had, like endometriosis, etc. Once you do all the work to get well, you realize you don't need the pill. And there are many other ways to prevent pregnancy that are just as effective. So most women opt not to go back on synthetic hormones once they've gotten themselves off of it, because they just feel so much better. And one of the things we didn't get a chance to talk about was you know, what you tap into beyond just the physical health, tapping into this idea of flow, I've taught at Google headquarters and other places where I teach women in the corporate setting how to leverage this neurohormonal chemistry that shifts week over week to be more successful in your career and in your life. When you really start to get well and tap into your flow and resolve these issues, you're just the better version of yourself. You're just doing all the things that you know you want to be doing. When you're on the pill, you don't have access to the same brain chemistry pattern. So it really is a big personal choice that you have to deeply consider. Learn all the information, get the book, get educated about these different phases and the neurochemistry. It's all mapped out. I think it's in chapter five. There's actually a series of charts to let you know exactly what's going on and how to prioritize different things at work. And then, you know, start thinking for yourself, is this something that I want to do? Do I want to have an experience of my body being continuously medicated? Or do I want to partner with my body, get it healthy, and really start to thrive.
0: As far as those with PCOS or issues like I have, you had mentioned to stay on the pill for a while and adjust to the eating patterns before leaving the pill so that those symptoms don't come back when you get off?
1: Yeah. Oh, if you're ready to do the program, then wait to do the pill experiment till after you're done. And then you'll feel very little, if any, turbulence coming off the pill. But if you're someone who just wants to know what's happening and you're not sure if you want to take action yet, then you can do that experiment of just going off the pill with your doctor's consent, of course, and see how you feel.
0: I definitely think I'm someone that since I've never had the period normally. <laughs> yeah, you already know it's probably not going to be a good scene. Yeah, you're you're at the
1: place where you need to actually do the, do the protocol.
0: I would be more excited if alcohol, dairy and gluten were, were part of it. <laughs> But listen, I can promise you that
1: avocados, dark chocolate, dates, sunflower seed butter. There's even chocolate pudding. I mean, there's like lots of good. I mean, you know, I love to have a good time and eat well. So there's lots of decadence in the program. It's not this austere kind of sad bean sprouts and brown
0: rice. I, I don't. I don't eat either. What about the naysayers or even the people that you love saying, you know, well, the doctor said to do this and you're going against that. So you're doing it wrong.
1: Well, I think now versus when I was doing this,
0: I caught a lot of flack for it personally and
1: professionally. Um, But now it's such a delicious time to be getting in your flow because we have a whole humongous community of functional medicine doctors who really have left traditional medicine, who have gotten their training from places like the Institute for Functional Medicine, et cetera, in addition to their med school training, have left standard practice and are now practicing, you know, more functional medicine, looking at root causes of these things and helping people get better with diet and lifestyle changes. So you can simply say At this point, because there's a huge population of these types of doctors, you can just say, well, I just have the wrong doctor. My doctor just isn't trained on this. So of course they wouldn't know how to recommend. And it really does come down to the training because in standard medical school, there's no conversation about diet and functional causes of things. I I hope that that changes soon. I mean, I think it only makes sense that there would be a convergence between Traditional medical schools and functional medicine training, it makes sense to integrate those things. And I know Dr. Mark Hyman is working as hard as he can to make that happen. But right now, that's what you would say to somebody who's saying, oh, you're being nuts. Say, actually, no, my physician that I happen to have just isn't trained on this. But that doesn't mean that he's right. He's lacking the training and other doctors have it. And that's it.
0: How can you find those doctors that have it?
1: You could look at the functional medicine directories, but you can also, you know, when you are searching for physicians, you can look at their bio and see what kind of trainings that they have done. They would prominently display that they have gone ahead and studied functional medicine but also these doctors tend to set up practices that sound more like wellness centers. So you might see somebody having like a wellness center and the doctor has like an acupuncturist and a chiropractor and other people sort of on staff as well. So you just might have to look outside the box from what you typically search for for a physician.
0: What are three baby steps that we can start to take, even if we haven't even read the book yet, that's going to start helping us get are health and hormones in balance?
1: Oh, that is a great question.
0: Three baby steps. First baby step. Tomorrow, try
1: having two pieces of gluten-free toast, if you happen to have it. If not, use the toast that you have for now. And a whole avocado. Slice it up, put half on one piece of toast, half on the other. Pinch of sea salt. Eat that for breakfast. And then wait an hour and see if you still want your cup of coffee. First thing start the morning off blood sugar stable second thing is switch your coffee to tea because i know this is like a big addiction that people struggle with caffeine's a really powerful drug and people really struggle with that so just switch to black tea see if you can do that for a couple of weeks and then you know of course if you're already on the black tea switch to green or white have less of the caffeinated part of the tea And then the third thing that I would do is I would have you put in somewhere in your day, you can have one of two options. You could either put in two tablespoons of something like flaxseed meal or chia seed, or you could have a half a cup of kale. So we're just looking at increasing fiber content to help you with estrogen breakdown. So those would be the three first steps avocados for breakfast, switch out your coffee for tea and get some fiber in with either dark leafy greens or some flax. And you're going to start to see things shift.
0: Thank you for breaking it down to little things we can start doing even before they've even read the book. So now I have some personal questions for you. One, what doubts or resistance are you working through in your life right now? Well, I'm a new mom and I, it's funny. I keep
1: telling myself this story that I can't possibly do all the things that I'm doing. Like I'm I'm incredulous at the things I'm doing. Like this week I'm getting ready for my first family vacation with the babes and I've ordered swim diapers online. I've I've been you know getting her ready, getting me ready, wrapping projects up with work. You know, we just launched our fertility program, which we do once a year. All the things that I'm doing, I keep telling myself I can't possibly be doing all these things. And then somehow they get done. And and this is an old fear that I think I'm presently healing from. It feels very similar to me, like how we all believe that our bodies, because we're women, are supposed to make us feel bad half of the month. I think another one that I bought into as well was motherhood is like a liability in a way, like you have to get all other things done first, because motherhood is going to slow you down in this massive way. I really think that I bought into that in an unconscious level, because I keep hearing these thoughts of, oh, there's no way you're gonna, how are you going to do all that? And then I cannot believe that in the past two years, almost of being pregnant and having my first child, how much more successful and productive I have been.
0: Really? Why do you think that is?
1: Well, hormonally speaking, pregnancy is an amazing time to get things done because of the massive amounts of progesterone. You'll learn about why that is in the book. And then postpartum, also the hormonal shifts as well, just unbelievable. Instead of multitasking, I am sequentially completing things quickly. Like, okay, this has to get done, done, next. I'm not juggling multiple balls. I'm just doing one thing at a time and bringing it to completion as quickly as I can. And I'm also spending time with my daughter and I'm nursing her full time. And I'm yet again, awestruck. I feel like I'm in sixth grade all over again. The first time I heard about my period, I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Now I'm like in, you know, in my late 30s, really looking at motherhood and, and hormones in a different way. And I'm just awestruck it's like I'm healing an old fear and a doubt and also just having my mind blown at the same time of like, well, yet again, how powerful women and our bodies really are because hormones and our bodies are not a liability. They're our power source. And it's just a new thing that I'm seeing and it's, it's awesome.
0: That's amazing. Okay. So what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey?
1: I would say prognoses are just an opinion. And they're like the weather, depending on how you take that prognosis and what you do, you can completely change that weather pattern. Just a prediction. It's not fate. I would also say that you should really trust your gut. You know, if you feel like something's off and you're not getting the answers that you need, keep searching, subscribe to our blogs. You know, I'm always putting out information that helps you navigate through, but your body is telling you everything you need to know. And you just need to learn how to interpret its messages to you. And the last thing I would say is, this has been my experience. So I'm just going to speak from my experience. I feel like we as women have been massively misled about everything when it comes to our bodies and our health and how powerful we really are. So get yourself educated about how your body works. It's going to open up a portal into your personal power that you did not know existed. It isn't about this body positive stuff. I think that's great, but that's not what this is. This is the science of how your brain functions and how you can hack into that, optimize that and like really, really do amazing things in your life with your health as a foundation. Those would be the things that I would say are the most important shifts to make mentally um, when you get started.
0: Thank you so much for the work that you've done. And I'm so glad I overcame that resistance. (laughs) And I'm so grateful (laughs) that I get to share this information with those who are listening and go with your gut. But at the same time, don't let your ego like masquerade as your gut saying, oh, no, this isn't for me. This isn't right. This isn't what my doctor said. That's what I did for over a year. And now there's a lot of emotions going into what I now know based on reading Woman Code. So thank you so much for the work you do. I, I truly, truly appreciate it.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. What a fun, fun chat.
0: And there you have it. Elisa, thank you so much for coming on the show again. And thank you for listening. If you would like to send Elisa a message, you can do so on Twitter at Flow Living, F-L-O Living. And you can find me at Jess C as in Coconut Oil Lively on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. For show notes for today's episode, hop over to jesslively.com slash vd all-star. Before I share who's coming up next week on the show, I'd like to talk about today's sponsor, freshbooks.com. You guys have heard me say it before, and I will say it again. I love using FreshBooks, and I'm so grateful that they're a sponsor here on the show because I've been raving about it for all the four years that I've been using it myself before this point, and I cannot tell you how simple, fun, practical, functional, all the good things that bookkeeping really deserves to be. It has done so well in FreshBooks. If you don't have any inventory to track, please go give it a shot. I truly believe it's just the best. It's like Facebook for bookkeeping. You can do so by going over to freshbooks.com backslash lively for a free 30-day trial to see what I'm talking about. Again, that's freshbooks.com backslash lively. And now for a sneak peek, next Thursday on the show, this all-star episode is one of my personal suggestions. We're covering interior design, minimalism, and mental health. This is one from mid-season of season one, and I think at this point, it's one that's in the archives that people that are newer to the show may not have listened to, and it's totally worth a second listen or a first time around listen. So I can't wait to bring it to you. I wonder if people are guessing. I think there's a few episodes that you could be thinking I'm thinking of, but I wonder how many people have the exact one that I'm thinking of. I will also say this episode includes what I believe is probably the most quoted part of any episode of The Lively Show of all time on Instagram and quotations. It's all over the internet in many ways because what this guest shared was so good on a specific subject. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today.